Hey guys, welcome to the Conversations with Interesting People podcast, the show where we sit down with people from all walks of life and hear their story and their journey and hopefully inspire you along your own journey as well. And I'm incredibly honored today to have our guest. He's a ACU alum. I learned this recently that he's also the 1991 Mr. ACU. <laughs> oh, wow. But most importantly, most impressively, he is the president of ACU, Dr. Phil Schubert. How are you? I'm great. Uh, it's good to be here. You know, there's some things you just soon kind of forget about, but thanks for 19, reminding me. In fact, I'm, I wanted to remind you even more because I brought the newspaper clipping. I wanted you to just take a look. <laughs> oh, wow. Look at that. Do you remember that? There's Deanne Kamali, Miss ACU, <laughs> uh, and I look like I'm about 11. Yeah, you picture. look like a young yeah. man. You haven't aged a bit. I'll tell you that right there. You look like the same man from this 1991 news clipping. Anyway, I found that and I was like, I've got to bring that up. That's amazing. That's great. No one's mentioned that in a while. Uh, I've accomplished my job, did my research. We can wrap it up. Um, no, but I'm really glad you're here. And the, what I really want to dig into um, for this episode is really... There's Dr. Phil Schubert, president of ACU, the public figure that everyone gets to see in the newspaper or online or when any big announcement from ACU comes up. There's that public figure on stage giving a speech. Um, but really, I wanted to dive, dive into Phil Schubert, the man, hmm. and kind of just hear your journey to how you got to where you are today and uh, the ups and downs and all the messy parts and beautiful parts and just hear your story. But before we get to like the... ACU part, I want to hear more about like the origins of Dr. Phil Schubert. Like, how did you get to where you are today? You know, sometimes people um, ask, how do, you, how do you get to become a college president? And I tell them, well, you're in the wrong place at the wrong time. <laughs> Something just happens. You know, this, this has been an amazing journey uh, for me. Um, I grew up in a family where my mom, my dad, and two older brothers, I was the youngest of three, okay. all attended ACU. So I watched them come out here. I came out, stayed in their dorm rooms, visited, you know, had all the, the sense of everything AC was about. Yeah. And, and so when it, it was time to go to college, I was ready. Okay. And I knew this place uh, like the back of my hand, and it was a great experience. And I had what I typically tell people, I had the best experience anybody possibly could have had at ACU. Okay. I found people who believed in me, who challenged me, who encouraged me, and, and found things in me that I had no idea that okay. I was capable yeah. of. And, and I, I – found my faith. I, I, even though I grew up in a, in a faith family with a father and mother who were, who were very devout Christians and who instilled in me Christian values, it wasn't until I came out here and began to live on my own, which I think is true of a lot of, of young people, that until you have that chance to really live on your own, your faith doesn't necessarily become your own. Um, when yeah. you have that independence and you begin to make those decisions without mom or dad looking over your shoulder, yeah. And so this was such a formative time in my life. And so to, to be now in a role where I get to help facilitate creating and enabling that type of experience for other students, yeah. it's the best job in the world. Yeah. It's not always easy, but it's the best job in the world. So I studied accounting here, uh, left and went to work at Arthur Anderson in Dallas. Okay. I actually came back to let my wife at that time finish school at ACU with no intention to be here longer than for her to finish. Okay. She, she wasn't going to lose her Bible credits if she came to ACU. We got married uh, after her sophomore year. I was working at Arthur Anderson. We left, came back, let her finish, and wouldn't you know it, I never left. I came back with the idea that I was going to take the LSAT get my CPA, and go be a tax attorney and work on mergers and acquisitions. Wow, that was the plan. That sounds thrilling. Yeah, wow. thrilling. At that time, I thought it was really <laughs> yeah. exciting. Uh, but I got here, and 
we began to love Abilene. I had some opportunities. I worked for a guy by the name of Jack Rich, who's now our chief investment officer. Okay. He was our executive vice president for a long time. I really hit it off with Jack. He was a great mentor to me. He gave me opportunities to learn and grow. And all of a sudden, I was looking at this situation thinking, I love it here. And I could see myself uh, carrying on a, a career. I did go ahead and take the LSAT, applied to law schools, okay. got accepted at Baylor, and had made plans to attend. And it was really in the on the car in the car leaving Dallas, Texas, going to new student orientation in the summer before I was to start law school. And I said to my wife, I'm not sure I want to do this. And she said, Me neither. And wow. we turned the car around and came to Abilene and I've been here ever since. And I've had, you know, six, eight different jobs. That's crazy. So let's let's go back a little bit. I want to okay. dive maybe more into your faith journey, especially when you say that how leaving home and coming coming on your own was important and integral for your faith and growing that, what did that specifically look like for you? How did that change for you? Were there integral people? Was there specific sure. classes, professors? I mean, wh- what did that look like for you? I think all of the above. Okay. So I, I think the, the first thing I would, would note is when you're living independently, you don't have those structures and routines necessarily that you grew up with in your home. And so there's a lot of variability in your decision-making. You know, when are you going to get up? Yeah. When are you going to go to bed? Who are you going to hang out with? Yeah. What are you going to do when you're alone in your dorm room? What are you going to read? So all of a sudden you're in this situation where as as an independent individual, you're making constant decisions that get to the heart of your character and who you want to be. And so in those spaces, I was also being filled with what I was hearing in class, um, very, uh, you know, great messages, uh, character building messages. I was meeting people. Uh, One of the biggest influences on my life when I was a student here, well, two, Gary McCaleb and Bob Strader, okay. two guys who took a personal interest in Phil Schubert. Yeah. And, and, and they were at a place in life where they could really um, invest in me and, and were gracious to do so. I don't know why they thought this would be a good use of their time, but yeah. they did. And so I had people who were asking me probing questions about, you know, who do you want to be and, and what, what kind of difference do you want to make and what's important to you in life? Yeah. And so uh, all of those type of situations, the freedom, the, the, the content of what was happening, conversations on this campus in my classes, the friends that I was making, as well as the mentors yeah. that, that I was able to develop relationships with, all had a big role in helping me gain clarity. Yeah. At some point, I began to emerge and think, okay, I, I know who I want to be, how I want to be, what I believe about God his personal relationship with me and how that looks in life yeah. and how I need to facilitate and grow that every day and the commitments I want to make to being a person who's about the journey to be closer to God tomorrow than I was today. Yeah. For you in that journey, do you feel like you had, because you talked about these men who are mentors in your life, and I feel like that's almost a lost art in today's world. Do you feel like maybe that was more of the culture back then where it was normal for young men to look at older men as mentors? Or do you feel like that was just the drive of Phil Schubert? I wanted to find guys who were well ahead in the path than I did and learn from them. Or was it more on the initiative of their side? They saw something in you and chased you down. That's a great question. I, I, I think it's probably more the latter. Okay. I wish I'd had the foresight as a young man to really pursue. I think I was open to it. I, I think I was really at a place in life where – I recognized the opportunity to grow, and so when I came across an opportunity that I thought would help facilitate my growth and maturity, I think I was very receptive to okay. it, and God tends to bring people into your life uh, when he creates an openness to do that. Uh, and it's, quite frankly, I don't know 
it's a good question as to whether or not that was something that was more a part of our culture in the past or yeah. if that's still present. It's the number one piece of advice yeah. that I give young people. Okay. So when, when, when students at ACU and, and others sit down and we have a conversation, sometimes they'll ask, what advice do you have? The first piece of advice that I give always is find some great mentors. Yeah. Because I completely believe that that's one of the most important things for all of us. And, and mentors are not just for young people. I still have mentors today. Yeah. And I hope I have mentors till, till my last day on this earth with people who, who've experienced a different part of the journey, uh, who've been down the road further than I have, that can give their wisdom. There's absolutely no substitute. You hear the phrase, there's no substitute for experience. Yeah. I completely believe that yeah. in every aspect of life, whether it's a job, whether it's a relationship, whether it's marriage, whether it's a business, you name it. You, you can't learn everything you need to know by studying something. You yeah. have to experience life, yeah. and there are always people in life that have experienced a little more yeah. than each of us. Yeah. And it, it, today's culture seems a little interesting in the fact that it almost seems like a lost art, where people are mm. mostly looking at their peers to be influenced rather yeah. than looking at someone older, hey, how can I grow? How can I get up? So that's amazing. That's huge to hear that from you. That that was an enormous part of your own faith journey out there, especially for us as, who are still growing or you still... Did. And I, I believe that's part of the DNA of ACU. Yeah. Like if you look around this campus, I think you'll find, for lack of a better phrase, more per capita people interested in being mentors than anywhere yeah. else on the planet. I mean, yeah. we attract faculty and staff to this place that have a deep desire to share from their own experience in ways that are beneficial and formative in the context of build, helping someone build their faith and better understand who God has called them to be on this campus anywhere else in the world, yeah. in my opinion. Yeah. And I love that. I, I think that makes for an amazing experience for most ACU students that are open to sharing of themselves and being willing to engage in some of those relationships. Yeah, that's awesome. I love it. I love this. It also isn't like a plug or paid advertisement for ACU, but I love that it's just like so in you to be passionate about what's going on and the things that you're involved in. So that's awesome. I want to fast forward from your faith journey here to, okay, so now you're at that fork in the road. Do I go to Baylor? Do we go back to Abilene? I want to kind of dive into maybe how did your faith play a role in that decision? Was it a voice of God coming down and be like, hey, that's not where you need to go? Or was it a like internal, I don't feel comfortable with that. How did your faith play a role in maybe those turning points in your life and those decision points that you had to make? Yeah, I've had several key decision points, to use your term, in my life that I would consider significant. That one was a big one. Um, I don't know that that one was heavily uh, influenced by my faith. Okay. Uh, it was more of a practical decision. I, I guess in some ways maybe it was because I I felt like I was doing something here that had a lot of meaning. Okay. So I felt like I was in a role where I was really contributing and I felt valued and appreciated for that contribution. I felt like that if I had cho if I chose to stay here, that those opportunities would continue okay. uh, to, to, to come to me. And okay. so that was pretty attractive. And to think about three years of law school, as I used to say, two or three years as a grunt somewhere uh, in an office, uh, I was thinking, hey, that's going to be six, seven years before I really start to do things that I consider to be substantive and sure. significant. And I felt like I was doing things currently yeah. that were substantive and significant. Yeah. And and I was really enjoying the people. So maybe that's part of it, too. And, you know, Jack Rich at that time was a guy I was spending a tremendous amount of the day with. And 
he was a super strong Christian guy, but he was incredible uh, business acumen. Sure, yeah. And I was learning it from him in, in formative and significant ways, and I thought, this feels really good. This feels like where I need to be. So yeah. maybe it was God nudging me to say, hey, there's so many things that are lining up here. Yeah that there's a reason they feel good and that's because this is where I want you to be. So yeah. we decided, hey, let's let's stay here. Let's go. Did you always cuz you're a finance guy, you're a numbers money kind of guy. Did you always were you always easily able to marry the two, money and following the Lord, or was there ever a cuz I feel like oftentimes hmm. in our culture today, it's those are kind of yeah. combative. No, that's never been hard for me. Okay. Uh, interesting question. I don't know that anyone's ever asked me that. Um it's always seemed to me to be uh, very uh, – that there's great synergy. I, sometimes I say if your gift is making money, yeah, make all you can. Sure. And then do something great with it. Yeah. Why do do you something think, worthwhile. Why do you think Christians are often against that mentality? Well, I, I think there's plenty of scriptural references that talk about the uh, – the challenges of, of wealth sure. and the way it can corrupt our motives and yeah. our heart and that we can become so fixated on – money and wealth that we lose perspective of our faith and the, the role and provision. You know, wealth can be a very protective type thing in our own minds mm-hmm. and, and in some cases supplant our perceived need for God Yeah, uh, because we have all we need. We yeah. can take care of ourselves and we have all the money we, we need to do anything we want. And uh, that's not what God calls us to. He, yeah. he calls us to, if you have the ability to to shower your wealth on people and, and do good with it, that's what the gospel teaches us yeah. to do. Did you ever have a day of reckoning where you were like, oh, man, I am putting maybe too much comfort in financial means, or I'm putting too much comfort and control into, because, again, you're a money guy, yeah. so your brain kind of thinks on that term. Did you ever have like a moment of like, okay, hold on, maybe I am putting a little bit too much security in this thing called money? Or has your faith always been able to really freely? No, allow? I, I, I think that's a constant struggle. Sure. I mean, I'd say that that's been a struggle every day of my life. Okay. Yeah. Is to realize that what God calls us to is uh, complete reliance on Him. Yeah. That He He will be the ultimate provider of everything that we need. Yeah. And I still find myself thinking and catching myself thinking, you know what? I'm going down the wrong path here. I'm, I'm letting myself try to be sufficient whether it's with money or solving issues or crafting a solution. I mean, I, I, I feel like all my career, what I've done is, is get into situations and try to solve problems. Yeah. And I think God has given me a certain talent for that that the world has celebrated. Yeah. And, and that can also really impact your faith in a negative way because you start to feel self-sufficient that I, I have figured out how to do this. Sure. And so I have a lot of confidence. And, and yet I realize that, that that's all from God, that, yeah. that God has blessed me and he's blessed you and he's blessed everybody with certain unique talents and abilities. But what he calls us to do is use them every single day yeah. to do something good and to, and to trust him yeah. that everything we have has been given by him and he can take it away in a moment, but that he desires to bless us. Yeah. And so we have that faith. And, and so I have to remind myself constantly of that because it's easy to slip back into that uh, mode of self For sure. I think yeah. it's awesome to hear your story that you are well into that aspect of life, but also you understand the fruit of using that as a tool yeah. rather than a tool to bless others rather than a tool to, for comfort and security that a lot of us, me, yeah, struggle one, with. One story um, that, that is relevant here, I think. I, one of the things that... Um, my parents weren't perfect parents, but they did a lot of things really good. 
And my dad, when I remember on Sunday mornings, there was, a, there was a pretty big routine in our house. He had this blue chair. He would sit in his upstairs bedroom. All of our bedrooms were upstairs. Living areas were downstairs. And he would sit in his blue chair, and I would hear him going over his sermon. You'd walk down the hall while we were you know, going, getting ready for church, and you'd hear him in there you know, going through it. Well, then when he got done, he would come downstairs, we would eat breakfast, and then he would have all three boys come back up, and often he would, he would write the check for the contribution. I still remember he would write $60 check for the contract. I didn't, I didn't have a clue how much money he made. Yeah. But back then, when those early days when I was six, seven years old, which would have been in you know, 1975, 76, he was writing a $60 check. And I remember having conversations sometime with my dad. You know, we would have, I'd have a friend who had a lake house who would invite me to go to the lake house for the weekend or whatever. And, and I'd come home and talk about how much fun I had and say, Dad, you know, could, could we get a lake house? And he said, well, son, we could, but that's the check I write to church every yeah. week. And if we were interested in investing that in something else, but we're not. We're interested in investing it in the church, and that's, that's part of what God calls us yeah. to do. And so still to this day, here we are, you know, 45 years later, and I can still remember that like it was yesterday. Yeah. And I think those little things along the way in, in our lives with people who are influential – start to create that sense of what's important and yeah. where are the where are the priorities. That's huge. That's an incredible legacy that your father laid for you. Um, so let's go back a little bit to, okay, so you're coming back to Abilene. You've decided you're not going to go to law school at Baylor. What's after that? <laughs> what, what are you doing at that point? I'm working for Jack Rich. I continue that role. Okay. Uh, he continues to be promoted here and expand his responsibilities, and yeah. I continue to be his right hand. He put me over when I was, I think, 27 uh, as the director wow. of financial aid here at ACU. Threw me over there. He walk, I remember the day he walked me over there and introduced me to the rest of the staff in financial aid. It was an office of, I don't know, 12 or 15 people, and he sure. said, this is your new director, and I was terrified. <laughs> And these people were looking at me like, what in the Who world is this kid? has he done to us? Yeah. This kid knows nothing. And I didn't. I knew absolutely nothing. But that led to a long history of, you know, Jack continued to place great confidence in me and continued to mentor me, making sure I was ready, but certainly put me in situations that I wasn't prepared for and I had to figure out yeah. uh, and rely on other people to help me. And that was a, that was a great learning experience. And then at some point, uh, you know, Royce Money was the president during mm-hmm. all that tenure and uh, Jack moved into a different role of being the chief investment officer. I moved into his role of executive vice president. And Dr. Money came to me one day and said, hey, we, we think it'd be a really good idea for you to go and get a, some advanced uh, degrees. Okay. And I said, oh, you know, I'm really having too much fun. I don't really want to go back to school. Uh, and he said, no, we really think you need to go back to school. <laughs> Being so, vague, but pointed yeah, as well. And, and say it was a great opportunity for me. I, I, I warmed up to it pretty quickly, yeah. and I ended up going to Duke and got, getting an MBA, okay. and then on to the University of Pennsylvania uh, to get a doctorate in higher education management. And, and I'm a, I can be a fairly cerebral guy. Yeah. Uh, I, I tend to describe myself more as an introvert. I love to learn. I love to sure. be in information and assimilating stuff and, and uh, content and context. And that was those were both great experiences. They were hard because I continued to work full time and wow. I went to school in a both an executive MBA and an executive doctorate, which are tailored for people that are continuing to work full time. But I loved it. It was so stimulating. I'd go back and forth to Duke and back and forth to Penn and each of each of those programs had its own kind of structure. You'd be there 
for several days, and in Duke's case, a week at a time, and in Penn's case, you know, three days at a time. And then you come back here and you do some stuff gotcha. in the distance. And I loved every minute of it. Wow. And, uh, even the research and the dissertation at Penn. What um, year was this? Are you starting to do all this? Let's see. Duke, I started, I think, in 2003. So I would okay. have been here at that point uh, about 10 years working. Okay. Um, and I graduated there in 2005. And I think I started, I took a year off. They, Royce came back and said, okay, we now I want you to go on for a doctorate. And I said, man, I'm tired. I'm going to take a year off. So I took a year off, I think, in 2006. And then 2007, started at Penn yeah. and finished that in 2009. And in November of 2000, so I think I graduated in May of 2009. And in November uh, was the deadline to make your candidacy known to be the next president of ACU. So somewhere in 2009 is when Royce announced his retirement and the search began. Gotcha. And they announced a November 1st date for anyone who was interested in being a candidate to submit their name for consideration. Gotcha. So at what point during this whole process were you like, okay, I'm, maybe there's something – Maybe there's a reason. Why yeah, Dr. I mean, I Mother- think I, I think I knew, and okay. Royce was open about that. Okay. He, you know, he wasn't telling me you're going to be the next president, but he sure. was saying, "Hey, part of my job is to ensure that there are viable candidates to take my place." Okay, and Phil, I think you have the potential to be a candidate among a pool of people. Okay. And so I really want to encourage you to invest in yourself and invest in the university and take these steps to be in that situation, so yeah. that that if you would like to be considered, you can be. Was was that opportunity? Even though it was kind of up in the air, there was no guarantees, was the opportunity to become the next president of ACU enticing for you? Or were you like, you know what, I don't know about that, but furthering my education sounds like a great investment on my time. And if that happens, that happens. Or you were like, man, it would be awesome to be able to lead this place that has put so much into me. Where were you in that? Yeah, I think it was a mix. Okay. So there's no doubt. Um, you know, I've been passionate about ACU ever since you know I was young. And then when I came here and had my own experience, it reinforced that. So... I loved this place, yeah. and I loved my job at that time. I loved my ability, the ability I had to contribute to a bigger purpose and mission. And so the idea of possibly being the president was certainly something that was exciting and had tremendous amount of, of meaning to yeah. me, but also was a little bit uncertain. You know, there's parts of that that, that are unnerving and that are a bit scary, and there's so much unknown, even though I'd watched Royce as his executive vice president for several years. So I, I was close to the role and I'd watch it. It's, it's just different. It's, sure. it's, it's not the same thing. Uh, and you can't ever understand what it feels like until you're in the role. And, and I knew enough to know that. And he had shared some of that with me. So I, you know, it was a tough deal. It was a huge decision point in my life to decide to put my name in that. Yeah. And I almost didn't. Uh, there were times when I had decided, Hey, I don't think this is for me. Uh, or that this is the right next okay. step. And I knew that pr- if I didn't do that, I would probably end up leaving the university uh, just based on how things typically sure. go in a presidential transition. And, you know, you tend to have people that would bring in and assemble a senior leadership team. And I was already part of that. And if there was another president, um, they would likely and, and appropriately want to bring in their team. Their own team, yeah. And And so – that was a very uh, grueling period yeah. uh, to try to discern whether or not this was the right thing. Yeah. So you put your name in the hat. What was that process <laughs> like? It was the most unusual, um, crazy thing I've ever been through in my life. How so? 
I don't even know if you can describe it, but the the optics and the pressure and the visibility and the openness, all of a sudden your life is on the front page in every aspect and their eyes on you all the time and it's they're all evaluative. Yeah. You know, as soon as that becomes known. So the first part of the process was behind the scenes. Um, so I guess that part really wasn't as um, is unusual. But at the point I remember, obviously the day that the process became public. So there was several weeks, six, eight weeks of process that were behind the scenes interviews and no one knew who the search committee was talking to. Okay. They were talking to a number of candidates and their job was to whittle it down to a, a, a list of finalists. And then I think it was in January, I think, was when, so they've been working for since November, in January that they announced we have two finalists. And that was the first point at which the process was public. Gotcha. And So you're not just I, one of a handful of people. You're one of two people. One of two. And okay. it was on the front page yeah. of the Abilene okay. Reporter News. That is on a Sunday. They announced it uh, publicly on Saturday. The front page picture was of me and the other candidate. And I remember going to church that morning and at Southern Hills and shaking and hands, kissing babies. What are you doing? Thought, at that oh point? my goodness. This is, <laughs> this is taking another. I also remember, uh, calling my mom. Uh, she didn't know I was in the process because okay. they'd talked about strict confidentiality, sure. but now it was on the front page of the paper. And did you know it was going to be on the front page of the paper no, or you wake up? But I, I mean, you have to assume that it's going to get covered by the news. And so sure. I remember calling her and I said, mom, my dad passed away in uh, in two thousand four, okay. um, and he would have loved to have seen this because this place was so special to him. But I was talking to her. I said, "Mom, let me tell you something because you're going to hear it uh, pretty quickly, probably later today, or if not today, tomorrow." But uh, I am one of the two finalists to be the next president of ACU, and that was announced publicly, and it was on the front page of the paper here in Abilene. And yeah. I'm sure you're probably going to hear about that. There was this long pause on the phone. And then the first sentence out of her mouth was, why'd they pick you? <laughs> Everybody needs a little good dose of yes, humility. Yes, a little humility from old mom. Yeah. Appreciate that. That's and a- then from there, that was what was crazy, is all of a sudden you had all these uh, public interviews, public presentations. Um, just It was just nonstop yeah. for... I guess about two weeks before they made a decision or three. And so I, you'd have meetings with, you know, all the academic deans and you'd have one with all the faculty yeah. and all the faculty and staff. And both of the uh, candidates are doing all this. Uh huh. And it's an alternating schedule. So, so you're you sizing had, this guy up. I don't know who the guy is. I haven't done the research for it, but you're sizing this guy up. Are you thinking I've got this in the bag? Are you like, man, Oh no, he's really clean. He, he, he's really good. He, he is, knows. I, I knew him well, know him well. Okay. Still. He's an amazing leader, incredible person. And, and I honestly thought, Hey, I, I don't have a chance. Gotcha. Uh, yeah, and and he he would have been a great president of ACU yeah. without a doubt, uh, and so you know I I think it's it's uh, again you have to to look at God's provision and Him leading you into things and and bringing outcomes that are for whatever reason part of His plan. Yeah, and so I think that's what happened here. Yeah, and um, it it's been an amazing journey. Yeah, every day in this job is meaningful. It's not easy, but every single day yeah. is meaningful. And that was in 2010? Yeah, so in, in February of 2010, the board 
made the decision. So that we ended up after all these interviews and all these campus, uh, we had like three days of full campus interviews, public presentations, all this stuff. And then I think it was a, a week later, the board met or in February and they were making the decision. So that was at a hotel in Dallas. The other candidate and I were both there. Wow. The board's meeting, and it was the primary purpose of the meeting was to, you know, decide on the was next president. Was Dallas just because that's where most of the board was at? Yeah, it was easy travel. Okay. It was, no, it was, it was like a airport, national convention. The DFW and Airport Hilton, so they could fly in. Gotcha. And, you know, it was easy, okay. easily accessible, and so it was kind of like, uh, I guess, one of those reality TV shows where on Saturday morning, so we had time with the board on Friday, each of us individually like a couple hours of sessions, they'd ask questions. And so they were peppering us with different things. And then they met Friday night, late into the night. And then Saturday morning, they were ready to make a decision. Yeah. And so I get called. They just say, wait in your room and we'll call you. <laughs> and so I How got How nervous are you? Are you nervous? Are you cool? Oh, yeah. I'm, I'm, it's, you know, the anxiety is just, it's just a different feeling. Okay. Uh, and to say that, you know, I wasn't nervous would, would I just wouldn't be telling the truth. Gotcha. It was such an unusual time. And all this had culminated in this one moment. And so I'm in my room and I get the call that, okay, you know, Phil, we're ready for you to come down. And so I remember going down and I still can remember exactly the layout of that hotel. I get to the lobby and to get to the conference area, you go past the lobby and there's this long hallway and all the conference rooms are at the end of the hallway. And, it, and I start walking down the hallway. The guy at the front desk says, hey, they're at the room at the end of the hall. And I'm thinking, that's a long way down. So long. I start walking. Got a lot and of time you just to think. feel and, your, yeah. your heart beating out of your head. And uh, still this day is a great story. Um, <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll throw him under the bus here. One of our current trustees, who was a trustee at that point as well, was a guy named Charlie Onstead. Okay. And for whatever reason, he had to leave the meeting early. And so I don't know if they've already talked to the other candidate. I don't know. So you have no sure. idea whether you're the first one in, the last one in, what the situation is. You have no idea. So I'm walking down the hall, and all of a sudden, the only other person coming is Charlie Onstead. He's leaving as I'm going in. And so we meet about halfway down the hall. And he just looks at me and winks and says, congratulations. <laughs> he blew it. Man. So all the anxiety. How were you feeling at that moment? Uh, I, I, I don't know how you describe that. I, I was uh, super excited, um, incredibly nervous, overwhelmed, grateful, uh, emotional. Um, you know, if nothing else, the, the end of the process was, was a significant event just from your own uh, stamina and emotion all the energy and the rigor that had been through this crazy process months long and the visibility and the evaluation and just to know it was coming to an end was a a pretty emotional event and then to walk in the room and all the board was in the room and they stand up and start applauding and you know so you walk in and they start applauding yeah that's a pretty epic scene it was it was amazing like yes yeah did you tell them that charlie I, I did. In up. fact, some of them, the only way they'll ever know is if they listen to this <laughs> podcast. I've not told that story many times. Wow, that's amazing. Uh, so but you, we're far enough outside of that that yeah, they that, wouldn't care A now. decade ago. Um, so you you get the yes. I mean, what is – do you feel – because I remember I'm a big history guy. I love presidential history, U.S. presidential history. And LBJ described the office of a president. Now, there's a lot of difference between ACU president and president of the United States. But he described the office, office of the presidency as an awesome burden. Mm. Did you feel that? Sure. Even though you're smaller scale, I mean, AC University. Oh, I feel it every did day. Did you feel it? Okay. So yeah. what, how does that look like for well, you? I think there's a blessing and a burden of leadership. Yeah. Um, and, and the blessing is you, you get to influence a lot of things yeah. in leadership. 
um, and you get to see and experience things that a lot of uh, a lot of people don't get that experience. The, some of the relationships that I have, the the inner workings, and watching plans come together that sometimes everybody doesn't have that same vantage point. So I feel so incredibly blessed and it's such an honor to get to see from my vantage point the way that God provides and opens doors of opportunity, brings people together and enables progress to happen that is glorifying to him. And it's so overwhelming sometimes. And I wished, I wish every employee at ACU, if there was some way for me to be able to show them some of the things that I get to see, I try to describe them sometimes, but it's not the same as experiencing and being able to see it. And you realize that's a really unusual and unique perspective that it's hard to share. And, and so that's incredible blessing. The burden, uh, is, I think it's pretty self-explanatory. You feel the, the weight of leadership. Uh, You realize the decisions that you make, are significantly impactful. You realize that the mistakes that you make have ramifications on a lot of people, and I yeah. make a lot of them. I've made a lot of them. Um, and you, while you want to be perfect, you're not. Yeah. And you're reminded constantly in roles of leadership, daily almost, about your faults, about your shortcomings, uh, about your failures, and and that's a hard place to be, and it's I think part of what's beautiful about that, at least from my perspective, is that is one of the most significant and profound ways to experience the grace and the healing power of Jesus is yeah. that is that you have no choice but to face the the worst of who you are because it's constantly being put in front of you in yeah. roles of leadership, and you realize that that's okay because. I don't have to be perfect. God yeah. has has provided for me, and he's going to fill in all the gaps and what he needs me to do. He doesn't ever expect me to be perfect. What he expects me to do is be faithful yeah. and to trust him to lead forward and always do what I think is the right thing. Yeah. And that's been one of the most amazing parts of my faith journey is to, is to, to figure out and how, how to embrace that yeah. and, and really let that go. Yeah. So you touched earlier on this aspect of suddenly you're a nominee, it's public knowledge front news of the newspaper and selling there's all this public attention all this public weight and then now discussing kind of the aspect of the responsibility that you have over a, a university and the failures are not just tiny failures they're now well-known humongous mm-hmm. failures what has that been like to um, be a public figure and also under the scrutiny of public opinion for your failures, we can talk about personal failures, but also failures of, you know, as a leader of a university. What has it been like for you to have to bear the weight of public opinion of your personal failures? Yeah, early on, so I realize I'm in my 11th year in this role. And, you know, as I mentioned before, there's no substitute for experience. Yeah. And so I'm in a completely different place than I was, but that's part of the beautiful journey that God provides for that his provision is always sufficient uh, something I say often and I've seen it over and over again um, I think early on and I made some pretty big mistakes early on significant mistakes it was so hard for me to separate the criticism of my leadership from my value of myself as a person 
that's hard probably for most leaders. Yeah. And you realize, too, that, that people – it's human nature when you – deserve to be criticized. Oftentimes you're getting criticized. You don't deserve to be. That's also part of leadership. But the point is when you do get criticized, whether it's um, justified or not, it tends to, to move beyond the practical uh, issue oriented criticism to the personal. I mean, yeah. that's just human nature. People attack you as a person. Yeah. They'll question your motives. They'll question your, uh, your character, um, your, uh, your honesty and things yeah. that get to the heart of who each of us are as people. Yeah. And, and so it took me a long time, I guess five, six years to figure out how to be able to separate those two and realize that people they weren't necessarily mean to be mean and they weren't really trying to attack me as a person, but that's, that's part of what comes with the territory. Yeah. And so you realize that it's not about me. Yeah. It's part of that realization that God helps us see that's part of his plan to say, Hey, the reason this hurts so bad is because I'm making this about me. It's not about me. Hmm. It's about me being willing to put myself in this position to do what God wants for his plan. And I'm nothing more than a facilitator. And when I can get outside myself and realize it's not about me, guess what? All that criticism starts to have a completely different feel. Yeah. Uh, and also learned early on that in leadership, you make lots of mistakes, as I mentioned. And first thing you got to do is own them. Yeah. Just get right up in front of people and say, I'm sorry. Yeah. I messed up here. Yeah. Uh, I want to ask for your forgiveness or I want to ask for, I want to tell you I'm sorry and I want to ask you to come with me to help make this right. Yeah. That's also not, not easy. Yeah. And it's taken a little bit of experience and uh, miles of the road to kind of figure out, Hey, that's, that's part of what we're called to do. And, and so all that together, I think, man, I've been so blessed to be in a role of leadership, to have to navigate those type of, of currents of my stream of life because it's formed me as a person. Yeah. And, and I've, I've loved every moment of that, even though it hadn't been comfortable. Yeah, that's incredible. It's, it's interesting for you to phrase it that your responsibilities has pushed you into this necessity of, honestly, humility is what you're describing, that a lot of us miss out on because we, our flaws aren't, all of our, all of our flaws aren't exposed to you know, front page newspaper, our personal decisions aren't all out there for everyone to see. So we kind of get this coverage of security and privacy, but it's awesome to see that in the midst of you going through public difficulties, mm -hmm. personally, as a leader, yeah. it's actually forced you to be a healthier human, a healthier man by leaning more into the Lord, first and foremost, but also <clears throat> like learning the skill sets of humility and apologizing which I think are huge. It's really interesting to hear how your journey has led you there. So moving on from the heavy stuff, how, what are some like greatest um, successes? What are you most proud of as president? We're, we're, we're kind of running out of time, but mm. I want to hear maybe what you look back the last 10, 11 years of being the president of ACU and your own journey. What are you most proud of? And it could be as president. It could be as a husband. It could be as a dad. Mm. What, what are you most proud of? Well, since this is mostly focused on ACU, let's uh, I'll, I'll talk about it from that perspective. Um, you know, I'm I'm just I, the thing I'm most proud of. I mean, we could look around at all the you know the new buildings we've built, the growth in the university, the significant strength of our endowment. All those are great things that most universities measure their health by. Yeah. You know, how many students do you have? How big is your endowment? Uh, how many programs have you launched? How many buildings have you built? How much money have you raised? And by all of those measures, 
ACU has so outperformed the market. It's, yeah. it's been unbelievable. And, and those are things I'm proud of. But you know what I'm most proud of? The way that this community, starting with the faculty and staff who choose to be here, the way that they live out the mission of this place every single day in yeah. such an incredibly authentic way, keeping the focus of our faith as a community right at the center of what they do, the yeah. way they love our students, the way they reach out, invest in the personal in their personal lives and in their journey. And it is it's unending. And so you even look at this last year, it's been this last year has been the best year for me as a leader of ACU ever, yeah. because through all the hardship of the pandemic, the crazy storm we just experienced, it was like just this illuminating light was shining on the, the unwavering commitment of our faculty and staff to do absolutely whatever was necessary to protect the special things about this place, care for our students, adjust their courses, get outside their comfort zone, reimagine how we do things. And it's all because they say, this is, this is important. Yeah. This is special. Yeah. God has called us to be a difference, be difference makers in the world. And when that comes under threat, we're willing to do whatever it takes to yeah. try to figure that out. And they've done it. And there's no way that you could convince me that that type of spirit and commitment and resolve and tenacity exists on any other campus, college campus, university campus in the country, like it does here. And it's all because they're people of faith who absolutely know that God has called them to this place to make a difference, and they're, they're unwavering in their commitment to figure out how to make a difference tomorrow, no matter what the climate and circumstance may be. That's amazing. I'm more proud of that than anything yeah. else that we have. That's so awesome. So before we leave, before we uh, end this thing, what's next for you? What's next for Phil Schubert? In the future, what are your goals, what are your dreams as you move forward from here? What's well, next? if the board doesn't fire me, which is always a possibility in every <laughs> board know. meeting. We just had a board meeting last week, and, okay. and Royce Money used to tell me that the mark of a, success, of a successful board meeting is you come out of it with a job. With a job. That's so amazing. I do still have a job. We've got an amazing board. By the way, April Anthony is our chair. She's fantastic. We have so many huge mountains that we're get, getting ready to start climbing that are so exciting that the university is so well positioned to take yeah. that it's going to be an, it's going to be an awesome experience. So we're in the process of finalizing a major capital campaign. It'll probably be a two hundred fifty million dollar campaign that Man. will outline several key areas of priority and growth and maturity for the institution. These are things that have never been attainable for us at ACU in the past, but it's because of God's provision and putting us where we are, allowing us to grow and mature and strengthen in all these different ways that have opened some of the most amazing doors of opportunity to put ACU in a place for us to have an impact on a national stage unlike we've ever had before. Yeah. As we grow into a national university, into a research-based university while keeping our students right at the center of everything that we do, and it's going to position us to broaden our influence and deepen our impact in ways that we've never seen before. And I cannot wait to continue leading yeah. down that path. That's awesome. I'm excited to see where this university goes, and I'm really grateful for your time here today, but really just grateful for the example you've set as a leader of this organization and uh, the pace that you have set in this community as well and moving forward and also tying that into faith and passions and journey and family and all those things. So appreciate uh, thank that. you for that. I Thanks really for having me. So, yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much, and we'll see you guys next time. Thank you.